0: Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church in Chicago. My name is Pastor Joel Hess, and uh, what a joy it is to preach the good news to you. May God bless your ears and heart that you have the hope and peace that we we have in Jesus Christ and that the Lord changes your view of the world, that you see things as he does with the love of his son, Jesus. If you want to support his mission here at St. James through Chicago, go to stjames-lutheran.org and donate. Thank you for listening. What do you think? Guys? The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, "Go, and the Lord be with you." In the name of Jesus. Amen. Grab a seat. So as I was saying, one of my favorite uh, directors, actors, Clint Eastwood uh, did a number of wonderful westerns, the best. They all have Christ figures in them, by the way. Go check them out again. Uh, yeah, you got to like westerns, but uh, actually a lot of his figures, even the Dirty Harry stuff, has sort of these Jesus motifs in it. But uh, one of the best ones and the longest of those is the good and the bad and the ugly classic. And I guess I, I thought of that when I was thinking of the David story. Uh, when I think of David and the Goliath and all these things, I think of the good and the bad and the ugly. And then I kind of think, it seems like it might be all one person when you think about Jesus, or when you think about David, actually. So we're doing this series on unexpected heroes and, more importantly, unexpected grace. And now we're talking about David and his life begins uh, just like all the others. He's unexpected. The people of Israel need a hero, and uh, they need a king. Saul had messed up, and God needed someone else. And so he sends Samuel, that we talked about last week, the son of Hannah, right? Our hero last week was Hannah. And Samuel is sent to the house of Jesse to go find this king. That's where God said that one of his sons is the next king. And so Samuel goes. Jesse brings out all his boys, the big ones, the strong ones. They're probably in their teens, and their 20s. And uh, God tells Samuel, nope, none of them. And finally Samuel's like, you know what, do you have anybody else here? Because none of these are the one. And Jesse says, well, I got my little kid, you know, 13-year-old, out there shepherding. Of course, that can't possibly be the person you're thinking of. And God says, absolutely. And so, so David comes. And that continues that theme of Hannah, who's barren. Of, of Moses, who kept on saying, there's no way I can do it. Worst possible qualities of a hero, Moses. And of course, Abraham, who absolutely uh, didn't trust God's promise, tried to do it his own way, etc., and Sarah, who laughed at him. And now you've got David, who's the youngest and the smallest and the weakest, because God loves choosing that and using those people to be his heroes. And the reason why is what? So that nobody can say that God's not the hero. <laughs> If you can do something with somebody who has no qualifications to be a hero, nobody can praise anybody else except for God. That's a good lesson for us to trust. So David is chosen. And uh, the next chapter, this is all in 1 and Second Samuel, if you want to read more of the details about David's life. Who, by the way, is like next to Abraham, Moses, David, is the king of Israel. Everyone thinks about him. Again, you go to a synagogue today, David, the star of David, David's the man. And, by the way, in the Old Testament, the promise was there's going to be a son in the line of David who's going to reign forever. It's a very certain promise in the Old Testament, continually said. So David is just a little boy. He is uh, grabbed as the next king, but no one really knows it. He's anointed by Samuel, but he just remains that as a young man. Saul, who is the king, actually hires this David because Saul was suffering and he needed some great. What anybody know? Saul needed some great music. What do you do when you're suffering and you're sad or whatever? You need somebody to play the blues. So David's hired as a guitarist, by the way, because there weren't organs available. If only they knew there was an organ coming on in the future. David would be the great organist, but he just had the guitar. And he's there, and he's playing, and this guy, this monstrous army, the Philistines with Goliath were uh, fighting against Israel and uh, killing a lot, and they were just victorious. And this Goliath is gigantic. And he's powerful, and everyone's scared of him. And all the soldiers of Israel are absolutely frightened of this Goliath. He's too big. There's no way. And what's funny is, again, for our themes of these, great, of these unexpected heroes, if you read the Old Testament, the, is- the Israelites were continually scared, even after what? God continually rescued them. I mean, he has a, a resume of absolute success, and yet whenever Israel faces a new problem, what do they do? They complain, they give up, there's no way. Does it sound like someone that you might know? Maybe you. God's been with you, God's blessed you, he's taken care of you. Three weeks ago you had this, and you were worried, and the Lord brought you through, and now this new problem, you act as if it never happened. That's how I am as a pastor. (laughs) There's no way I can defeat this one, God. And so while they're all cowering, this little David goes to Saul and says, I'll take care of it. And of course Saul says, that's ridiculous. You know what I mean? Like you're just a little boy. And David says this, and this is the theme for David. God will save Israel. God will save. God will do it. It'll be okay, not because I'm a great fighter, not because I'm strong and mighty, but because God is involved. And he actually says something, something like, you're going to win, we're going to win, and it's not because we're going to be great fighters, it's because God is going to give us the victory. And that's the theme for David. He's always saying this. And so sure enough, he goes up to Goliath. All the other guys are cowering and scared. He runs up. Goliath looks at him basically. And by the way, the good and the bad, I didn't say this in the beginning there, the good and the bad and the ugly, we think of the good as Clint Eastwood, and in this case, David. We think of the bad as a guy who's called Angel Eyes. He was just a sort of a bad dude in the movie. And then you think of this guy, the ugly, who's the name was Tico in the movie. And I think of Goliath, like just ugly and bad and all these things. So, Clint Eastwood, David comes up, little tiny boy. And Goliath says, You're insulting me to the Israelites. You're such a bunch of cowards. You sent a little boy to defeat me. It's actually insulting. And what does David do? Looks him right up in the eye and says, God will deliver me. And sure enough, takes out the slingshot. And it's not because he's some great shot. He's practicing a long time. It's a slingshot. With stones that are only so large, he can only pull back so much. Nails him, he falls over. Not because David's strong and mighty and a great shot, but because God gave him the victory. And by the way, when you have an enemy... I think it's always cool to call them uncircumcised Philistines, by the way. So a little something there, those uncircumcised Philistines. So here's David. He's a hero now. He grows up, and as he's going, he's in the military, and he's a general, and he's successful. Everything he touches turns to gold, and, uh, and what does he constantly say? God saves. God will deliver. God is with us. We need not fear. Time and time again. Well, Saul's still king who's jealous. He's serving Saul the best he can and yet Saul starts to get jealous because everyone was uh, praising David, how awesome David was, how successful he was and they weren't praising Saul. Saul becomes the bad. He was the good and now he's the bad. And he tries to kill David. And when you read these stories, again, these Bible stories, we want to place ourselves as the hero. Whenever you're reading a story, you always think of, where am I in this story? I think too often we think, well, we're probably the good guy or the okay person. Maybe we're Saul in this part. You ever been jealous of someone else's success? You know what that feels like to see someone else do well? and You're working just as hard. Even when people, things are going well in your life, it's not going as well as that, guys. So don't tell me you can't relate to Saul and you're just as bad. And so Saul's trying to kill David. David is such a good guy. In fact, quite frankly, I would want to kill I mean, David's annoying, by the way, at this point. He's just too, like, God's in charge. Everything's awesome. God loves us. You know, I mean, come on. In fact, David had Saul in a cave. Saul didn't know it. David could have killed him. He refrained and actually says something nerdy, like, the Lord will take care of this. I'm not going to slay the one that the Lord has made king. I mean, just come on, dude. You're too good. Eventually, Saul dies. The battle goes on. David and Saul have to fight. And David's anointed king. And as king, he is successful. As king, he, he uh, by God's help, as he continually says, the Lord is my shepherd. He is moving the boundaries. He's bringing peace and safety to everybody. Everything's going well. The economy's going well. David's kingdom. Today, people look back, even today, because they want to go backwards. Watch out for people that want to go back to a golden era. Doesn't exist. But even today, oh, the kingdom of David, the David's kingdom, that's where we want to go. Because everything was just great. Everything he touched turned to gold, and he kept on saying, "God saves." But as you read the story in First and Second Samuel, and when you read the story, Sam, uh, David looks so good, and he just believes, and he's just always saying, "God saves," and he's winning all the battles. I encourage you to read First and Second Samuel, and also read the Psalms, because that is the mind of David. And in the Psalms, you're going to find someone who isn't so certain about victory all the time, who isn't, doesn't have that bravado constantly, inwardly and outwardly. He might have looked good on the outside, but in the Psalms, you hear a man who is scared, who wonders why God is taking so long, why bad people succeed, why the ugly achieve, and why he is being uh, chased down. You find a man who's scared of his own sins. You find a man who doesn't just immediately believe everything God does, but actually says stuff like, How long, O Lord? How long do I have to keep on running and hiding when he loses his best friend Jonathan? He's sad about it. I really encourage you to read this, because it's a real person. Just like Abraham, Sarah, and Hannah, believers indeed, But they struggled with the faith. They fought. And I love about the Psalms too. and I really encourage it. David argues. It's okay. When you read those Psalms, you see a man praying for real. Mad at God, struggling with him in his words. And I know if you've not met with me for a challenge you've had in your life, I always tell people, read the Psalms. Grab a Psalm. Make it your own. So David is successful. He's defeated all these Goliaths. And he's always given the credit to God. But there's one Goliath that he could not beat it's himself. All the success in the world. He moved to Jerusalem. Everyone's praising him. He's got everything he could possibly want. His Armies are protecting the perimeter. They're expanding the rain. And David looks down and he sees who? Bathsheba. Coincidentally, taking a bath. And what does he do? He steals her. I want you to understand, now, Sarah Henning and I were having a little quick conversation about this this past week. Maybe, maybe, maybe Bathsheba should have been taking a bath outside in front of the king's window. But back then, and it's possible, women had power back then. Don't listen to the absolute ignorant liars, experts, on how there was no power. No, they had power. They were able to do things. They were able to say no, etc. But also. Also, I don't think it's crazy to say David, when the king comes over and wants to sleep, you're not gonna say no. And I don't think it's crazy at all to say this great heroic David could have raped. I don't think it's crazy at all. He takes what he wants. Everything he touches turns to gold. And whether it's manipulation of his power, his name, or his fame, or force, he takes Bathsheba. She is pregnant. Meanwhile, this is not just another woman. This is his best friend, Uriah's wife. So he takes her. She becomes pregnant. And he needs to cover it up because that's what you do, right? When you sin... You need to fix it, cover it, get it gone. You need to get righteous again. And so David devises this wonderful plan. I'm gonna have Uriah come back and take a break and hang out with Bathsheba, if you know what I mean, so that no one's gonna think it's my kid. This is what, this, this is what you do. Maybe it's not a sin as grievous as that, but our own sins, how can we manipulate, rationalize, fix things up so it's gone and whenever we're in charge of fixing our own sins and gaining our own righteousness it gets ugly and uglier and uglier and sure enough uriah comes home and david says enjoy your time he feeds him and just you should just god bless you how awesome and just hang out with your wife you get a little break hoping Something happens. And Uriah says this How dare I hang out with my wife? I hope you know what hang out with the wife means, by the way. Hang out with my wife while my men are suffering on the front. You know what I mean? How terrible. (laughs) David doesn't get it. He tries again. He's got to cover up this sin, he's got to make it right. He's got to make himself righteous. No one can know. He's got to hide the secret. He's got to dig the hole. He's got to throw on more and more dirt. So he keeps on trying. Uriah keeps on being the better man. And finally, David, and this is what happens when it's up to you to cover up and fix your own sins. Always it ends up ugly and dead. And so he sends Uriah out to the battlefront and has his men back up while Uriah is by himself, and so he'll die in battle. All so that David can be righteous. All this time, David said, God saves, but in this point, in his sin, and this Goliath, David thought he needed to do the saving. And quite frankly, David had become Goliath. Quite frankly, David I respect him absolutely no more than Goliath, creep. That's David. He doesn't even realize it. He's going on living his life. Uriah dies, marries Bathsheba. What a nice David, taking in his best friend's wife to take care of her. She has a kid. Nobody knows. Except for God. God who's got his own Goliath to slay and sends Nathan the prophet. And Nathan goes to David and tells him this story. This is a great story. It's one of the most famous sermons, and it might be the template for all sermons. Nathan goes to David and says, let me tell you a little story. And it's such a dumb story. It's so obvious, but he had to do this. He says, there's this, I'm just kind of paraphrasing, there is this uh, old man who had this little goat and just loved this goat. The goat went everywhere with him, loved the goat. they build some character build up there with that story? (laughs) And there's this rich man, and he sees that uh, he's going to have a great company of people to feed and doesn't want to use his own goats. And so he goes and takes the the, uh, poor old man's goat And just as Nathan says this story, David says, how dare he? Because David thinks that he is acting as king to do some judgment in Israel. You should take that man and he should be killed. Most famous line in the Bible. Nathan says, you the man. You're Goliath you're the bad. You are the ugly. And David wakes up. That's kind of the goal of every sermon, by the way. Wake up. Look in the mirror. Reading your little Bible stories, thinking you're the hero. You're Goliath. And David needed that, by the way, did he not? In fact, God's being gracious by coming in to the Word to reveal his sin. And David gets on his knees, and then we read these in the Psalms, Psalm 22, Psalm 51. Oh, Lord, have mercy. I am a piece of you-know-what, and I have nowhere to turn. Friends, that's how God takes care of sin, doesn't hide it, doesn't rationalize it, doesn't do all kinds of logical manipulations so it's no longer sin or remove passages from the Bible or whatever we got to do. We live a life of trying to pretend we're not sinners or pretending something is not sin. We'll do anything. We'll do crazy things nowadays to pretend things are okay and behaviors all right. And God sends his prophet To wake people up, but not to leave them shocked by their own sin. And you know what? I bet you have a friend that might need you to say that to someone else. A good friend like Nathan does that. Doesn't leave you living your own la-la land. Because, you know, I bet you've been there. I've been there. Living in la-la, not realizing the trail of blood you're leaving behind. The words you say or whatever, thinking you're all that and okay. And someone has to, by the outside, say, dude, you're terrible. Maybe it's your spouse. <laughs> Maybe it's your kid. Maybe it's a friend. You have, you have the role in someone else's life, and you know what? Someone has that in yours. You the man. You Goliath. And only then David finally learned what he'd been telling everybody else. God saves it's one thing that he saves against Goliath or these material things or expands the empire, or fights whatever, but David learned that God even saves him and forgives. And Nathan says, you are forgiven. And for the first time, he learns what it means when he wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. Even though I walk through the valley, of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. He's not just talking about outside enemies. He's talking about the evil that is him. But the Lord also told them, You're going to have troubles because you're forgiven, your family, but it's messed up because when you do sin, sin messes up relationships. And sure enough, his son Absalom rebels against him, tries to steal the crown. So if you want to relate to someone, guess what? David is a dysfunctional family man. <laughs> he gets it. And he lived by his own, the mercy of God. Because this whole story about David is not about David's heroism. He's not the good. He's the bad and the ugly, and so are you. But thank God, God is the good. And he not only saves us from our Goliaths, but our own selves Because God made a promise to David that one day you're going to have a son who's going to reign forever, and that David came. And this time, and that son came, and this time, this son came, and he really is the good. He's not all these other heroes, even like David, that we want to put our hope in, that will always let us down. But this Jesus did not despise his fellow man, but loved them, did not disobey his Father in heaven, but served and did exactly what he said. In fact, this Jesus took care of our. Sin problem that David tried to take care of by covering up. Jesus had it all placed upon him. And he put it in the grave and he buried it more than you could ever think you can bury your sins because you cannot. But in Christ, they are buried and they are gone. Even David's sins. So if you're, (laughs) David got all the sins in one act. If he's forgiven, you're forgiven. And you have been covered up by the blood of the Son of God. And that same Son has risen from the dead and promises resurrection for you to talk about a hero. It's going to be okay. And David's words are true. God does save. Not only rescuing us from our Goliath, but from our sin and even death itself. In Jesus' name, amen.